Hello, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever the time of the day may be for you. Um, welcome to the Intellectual Property Beyond Prosecution podcast. Uh, my name is Clark Acey and I am hosting this um, podcast. A um, little bit about me and a little bit about the podcast to just introduce things. Um, so I've, I'm a professor of, of law at BYU Law School. I have been for about seven or eight years. Um, before coming to BYU Law School, I was at Penn State for two years, uh, also teaching there. Um, and before that, I was at Amazon and Wilson, Sincina, Goodrich, and Rosati uh, doing technology transactions, working as corporate counsel. Um, and so that's a little bit about me. I teach intellectual property law at BYU Law School as well, uh, Penn State, I also teach information privacy, um, among other things that I've taught here and there. So uh, this podcast, Intellectual Property Beyond Prosecution, um, just, to give you, just to give you a little bit of background as to why I decided to do this and, and where it's headed. Um, since joining academia from industry, uh, I frequently have students who are interested in intellectual property, um, but you know the common frame that you hear from them is, well, I don't have a STEM background, so I can't do um, intellectual property law. Okay, so I have I constantly have this discussion uh, with students um, about what they can do in the world of intellectual property beyond prosecution or patent prosecution. Okay? And so I thought, you know, I should just create a podcast and have this conversation, uh, mostly in, in, in this episode, a monologue, well, entirely a monologue, um, about where this mis misconception comes from, that you can't do intellectual property uh, if you don't have a STEM background, and then just explore some of the things that you can do um, without a STEM background or with a STEM background, but but areas of the law that you can go into beyond just patent prosecution, okay? Um, so, so that's what this episode is going to be about, and I hope it proves a useful resource to my students, other students um, out there who may get um, find it. Um, and in future episodes, I think what I'd like to do is just interview people um, in you know, various legal industries and get them to share with, with students their, you know, their experiences and advice uh, as to how to get into similar careers. Okay? Um, so hopefully this will be a useful resource for law students all over um, who, you know, when you come into law school, and this is sort of getting into the matter, when you come into law school, you know, your first year is just like, Litigation, right? Litigation is the only thing out there. Um, really, all your classes are heavily litigation focused. And, you know, after your first year, if you don't have, if you're a first generation law student or just otherwise don't have any exposure to the legal world, uh, you think, wow, you know, I've got to go to, I've got to find a job in litigation. And then maybe in your, you know, e even during your first year, Second year, third year, you start interviewing, you start exploring a little bit more, and you realize, oh, well, there's the litigation side of things. Um, 
but there's also this transactional world. And maybe I want to do that because I don't like to fight with people. Um, I'm more, you know, of a peacemaker, diplomatic, whatever. And so maybe the transactional world is, is what I should do. Okay. So, and, and, and that's sort of reinforced throughout law school, um, like, you know, career services, sometimes the professors, other, other sources of just sort of confirming, like, these are two options. You do litigation or you do transactional work. Okay. And that's it. Um, and, and I, th again, I think there are a number of reasons for this. I think one of them is the, that, that, that's a sort of a fair division of the legal world. Very, very broadly, very broadly. Okay. Um, so, so, you know, those are important practice areas and, and it sort of very generally describes, um, the division of, of legal, legal industries, the legal industry. Okay. Um, it's also often what people have done, right? Like your law school is only going to educate you about what is available out there to the extent that people in the building have experience in various legal fields, okay? So if most of the faculty and most of the career services and most of the other staff have done litigation, you might go through law school and sort of come away with the impression like litigation is what, what's out there and what, what I need to do, um, or that's my option. Or if you have a lot of corporate, former corporate attorneys, merger M&A attorneys, mergers and acquisitions, you know, you might come away with the impression, well, like I can do corporate work and corporate work, it, transactional work is M&A work, okay? Um, and sort of the, the, the flip side of coin is, you know, if you know, people, people's experiences sort of inform their advice and what they're able to share uh, with the students and sort of the students, you know, a lack of experience in particular areas is, is a big cause of students never finding out about those different areas, okay? <clears throat> so this, this leaves a lot of students in a pickle. They can't do it. Well, do I wanna do transactional work? Do I wanna do litigation? Um, those are my two general options. Now, what what is important for students to understand is that litigation division and that transactional side of things is highly varied, right? There are lots of different types of litigation and there is lots of different types of transactional work. And, and so that's, that's one key point, right? There's employment litigation. There's, and we'll get to it, intellectual property litigation. Um, there's uh, securities litigation. There's real estate. There, there's all sorts of types, okay, of litigation. So that's one important point. On the transactional side, the same holds true, okay? You think, well, I'm interviewing with this law firm. I'm interviewing for, you know, transactional work. Is it the same as this other law firm in a different jurisdiction? And students might think, yeah, it's all transactional work. Not the case, right? Transactional work varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, depends on the types of clients you're working with, right? If you're working with public companies, private companies, um, and I guess everything in between, okay? So there's lots of different types of transactional work, 
Um, and, and it's important for students to, to be aware of that. Now on the intellectual property side of things, okay, it's similar, okay? So like I said at the outset, students come into it, students who might be interested in technology, they might be interested in intellectual property, but their patent prosecution focused classmates tell them, well, you can't do IP because you can't, you're not eligible for the patent bar and be kind of a pain to get eligible. And so you can't do IP, okay? And then sometimes you hear from the career services, like, what are you interested in? Intellectual property, do you have a STEM background? No, okay, you can't do IP, okay? You also hear that from professors at times. Huge mistake, right? Just like how the litigation world and the transactional world are high, highly varied and specialized and there's all sorts of nooks and crannies and uh, different types of litigation and transactional work. Same holds true with, with respect to intellectual property. Yes, there's patent prosecution. Patent prosecution is a great um, route for many people. Uh, Many, many students, you know, they know that's what they want to do. They have the right background. They can take the patent bar. They really enjoy it. Great career path, okay? An important slice of the intellectual property world, but it is a slice, okay? It's, it's one of the areas that of, of the broader intellectual property world. Okay, so what are causes of this? Well, again, similar causes. You have people without experience in these other areas of intellectual property law. They predominantly know one area, that is patent prosecution, and so that's what they advise students. Sometimes the students who know they wanna do intellectual property know they wanna do patent prosecution, and so they tell other students, like, this is, like, this is the world of IP, it's patent prosecution. And so, you know, their classmates get discouraged and don't pursue um, IP because they simply think they can't. Um, I also think a cause of it is in smaller legal markets, often intellectual property does just mean patent prosecution, okay? I think we have this issue in the Utah legal market. Um, I've had students who go in without a STEM background, they go and try to interview with local Utah firms um, for IP positions and the firms, you know, say, you don't have a STEM background, you can't work here, you can't do IP, okay? Well, they might not be able to do IP for that firm, okay? Because that firm might be focused on patent prosecution or sometimes these smaller firms, they, they say, well, you can do litigation too, but we want you to have a patent prosecution um, ability to do patent prosecution in case, you know, things get tight and we don't have enough work for you. Okay. So I think in smaller legal markets, often IP means patent prosecution. Okay. Um, and so that's, I think, a source of, of the confusion. Okay. So I have this conversation with students repeatedly, and I just want to have it here to, you know, provide a resource for students, both at my school and perhaps elsewhere um, for a little bit of education about, okay, well, I, I'm interested in intellectual property. I'm interested in technology. Um, so what can I do? Well, you can do a lot. There are a lot of different options. So, so let me go through a few of them that I know a little bit about, 
and then really delve into one that I know a lot about, which is um, often called a practice group called technology transactions, sometimes called IP transactions. It's in the transact it's on the transactional side of things, um, but it's focused on intellectual property rights and um, uh, and 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 technology uh, transfers. Okay. So just a few, just off the top of my head, um, and in subsequent episodes, I want to talk to people who have deep experience in these fields to help educate all of us and, and provide a resource for students who might be interested in these different areas. Okay, so one, talked about at the outset how litigation um, is you know, highly specialized, and there's a lot of different types of litigation. Well, one of the types, lo and behold, IP litigation, okay? You don't need a STEM background to do IP litigation. I have lots of students that go into IP litigation um, who don't have a STEM background. They just have an interest and a desire um, and you can pick up the lingo and um, learn the law without you know, taking the patent bar um, and do just, just fine and great, right, even. Um, and there's, you know, you can do trade secret litigation, patent litigation, trademark litigation, copyright litigation, all these different forms that are really interesting and really important um, to companies involved uh, with them because intellectual property rights are so valuable to many companies, okay? So, you know, again, sometimes in smaller legal markets um, uh, where firms, you know, they might do some IP litigation, but they really want you to be able to do patent prosecution as well in case the litigation dries up. Um, it may be the case that those firms say, no, you gotta be able to do patent prosecution too. I think in the legal U Utah legal market, um, the Utah local Utah firms are missing a big business opportunity. And this may be true in other jurisdictions because the Utah technology market is booming. Okay? And there is, I would think um, lots of, of work to be done in business opportunities, new clients, um, and a chance and an opportunity really for uh, legal specialization. Now, you know, these, these local firms may think, well, we have plenty of businesses, just patent prosecution, and then maybe some litigation. Um, so we don't need to pursue those business opportunities. But what's happening in Utah right now is that big national firms are coming in because they are recognizing the business opportunity um, and, and taking advantage of that. So that may be happening in other places as well. Uh, but the point remains, IP litigation is a big area of IP focused legal work that people without a STEM background can certainly and do thrive in. Okay, so we'll talk to people in the future about that on, on future episodes. Um, another one, big one, entertainment law, okay? Lots of IP, um, rights of publicity, other sort of issues in entertainment law. Um, and, uh, you know, related to this, maybe uh, uh, a music lawyer, okay, um, who, you can spend your entire career helping clients with music copyright issues. If you've ever thought, well, IP is complicated and you know patent law is complicated, try music copyright. 
and copyright in general, um, I would say is, I, I don't know if it's more complicated, but it's incredibly complicated. It's not an easy area of the law to, to navigate. Okay, so there are opportunities in entertainment law, um, music lawyers, um, you know, and a lot of that obviously happens in uh, jurisdictions where the entertainment industries are found. Okay, L.A., New York um, uh, are, are are the two big ones. Okay, in that regard, um, there is growing opportunities. This isn't really necessarily intellectual property per se, um, but privacy lawyers, okay? Privacy, data security, cybersecurity um, positions are uh, burgeoning, okay? And this is a huge growth area and something that many of my students are interested in. Um, and these are, again, often these this level of specialization is found in I would say more mature legal markets, okay? Big legal markets, um, or at least legal markets where there's significant uh, a significant technology sector, place like Silicon Valley, Seattle, Austin, DC, New York, Boston, okay? Um, probably missing one that's offending someone, I apologize. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, companies, uh, the, the, the metaphor has a lot of problems, but People often say data is the new oil, okay? Data is very valuable to companies. And there's all sorts of new privacy regulations worldwide and within the United States that need addressing and you need lawyers um, to help with that sort of work, okay? So um, more and more companies have chief privacy officers. Uh, so this is a big growth area. And this is an area that a lot of my students get interested in um, and for which, you know, you don't need a STEM background, you just need We'll talk about this more in a minute. Interest and um, some some you know demonstrate interest, and, and that can be done in a variety of ways, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. Um, so those are a few. There's more out more out there. Um, IP intellectual property issues are all over the place. Okay. Cyber cyber law. A lot of, a lot of people are interested in cyber law. It's like, well, what are the careers in that? Um, well. The, the, one of the areas, and, and I'll sort of end with this one, uh, because I this is what I did when I was in practice and still do some of, uh, and it's a big area of law where intellectual property issues are are very much in, in play and form a major part of your practice is what's called technology transactions or intellectual property transactions, okay? Um, and so what is that? Well, it's a practice group that focuses on, I mean, the name technology transactions sort of tells you what it is, tells you exactly what it is um, without telling you very much about what it is. But you, you are helping clients enter into transactions with you know, third parties uh, that deal with uh, technology. Um, and that can be that can take on so many different forms and does. And that's why one of the reasons this area is so interesting. Okay. So let's say you are representing a software company, okay, and they develop a software tool and they want to, you know, sell it or license it to third parties, to consumers. Um, you would help them uh, navigate the legal issues relating to doing that. 
So you would help perhaps um, create uh, terms of service for consumers that consumers have to sign up for when they download and use the software. Um, and you know those terms of service deal with intellectual property among many other types of issues. Uh, maybe they want to co-develop that technology. You know, they have they have a piece of it, but they need some help from a third party. And you know, that third party is going to own some of the rights in the resulting um, product of the collaboration. Your client's going to own um, portions of it. And so you help put together the agreement that sort of addresses all of these often thorny issues. Really interesting work. Okay. Um, do that sort of thing. I mean, it, again, this takes on so many different um, facets. Sometimes you do what's called product counseling. I did a lot of this when I was at Amazon. Okay? And I did a, a good amount of it also when I was at Wilson Cincini. Your client comes to you and says, we have this product um, that we, we want to launch and we want to know what the legal issues are. Okay, so to give you a concrete example, when I was at Amazon, I was on supporting the emerging technologies team and the team came to us and, and said, we're gonna create Alexa, you know? And this Alexa is going to read, you know, do the following things. And can you advise us on this? Okay, it wasn't called Alexa at the time, but um, that's sort of how it played out. And they came to us all the time with other sort of product ideas and um, asked us to sort of navigate legal, business, privacy issues with them to sort of help them um, get their product out the door, okay, um, into the hands of consumers. So that's a really fun uh, piece of uh, what's that, that's often found in a technology transactions practice, okay. Um, when I was a technology transactions attorney, I was drafting in terms of service. I was drafting privacy policies as well. We'd advise clients on privacy issues. We'd help them write their privacy policies. We'd help them do privacy audits. Um, privacy related work is often within technology transactions group transaction groups, but sometimes firms also just have separate data privacy um, groups as well. Okay. Um, but all sorts of things like that. I mean, just anything you can think of in terms of, okay, a client either wants to acquire some technology or uh, license some technology or develop some technology, all of the different legal issues surrounding um, any of those events and you know contracts, um, agreements that you have to get in place to sort of facilitate that type of work. Okay, so you've got the transactional world. And again, people view the transactional world often as a monolith. It's not. There's this segment called technology transactions that is very intellectual property focused that is really interesting and which is what I did um, in practice for about six years. And again, so this, uh, this legal area, this practice area, is often found in more mature legal markets. Okay, is you know you'll go to firms in Silicon Valley, you look at their websites, they all have listed technology transactions or IP tra transactions. They all have groups that that do this sort of work. 
Now, in less mature legal markets, you probably also have people in corporate groups who do this sort of thing. Um, they're just not as specialized, and maybe they don't do it as often, um, or only a few people do it. Um, but they are probably also doing it as well, um, just not as much, and, and it's not as advertised. Uh, um, so a little bit, I mean, there, there are other groups too. I mean, when I was at Wilson Cincinnati, they had a trademark group. Okay. Again, no STEM background needed. Um, that trademark group, I think, both helped clients obtain trademarks, helped draft trademark agreements, helped advise on trademark issues. Um, also, were, they were involved, if I'm remembering correctly, in trademark litigation. Um, I mentioned uh, music copyright lawyers. Um, I have several friends who have uh, been in that world and really enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, sometimes firms have copyright groups, okay, often doing entertainment, um, law, copyright litigation, and so forth, okay, all again without STEM background necessary. Okay, so that's the next issue or um, thing I want to address in this episode is, okay, you say you don't need a STEM background, um, but isn't it super helpful to have one and sort of de facto necessary? I mean, if I want to advise software clients, how am I going to do that without you know, a computer science background? Well, let me tell you, I was a software lawyer. I did, I did a lot of work in the open, soft, open source software field that was one of my specialties and my background was political science okay my master's degree uh, my master's thesis was on german immigration policy and i assure you there was no coding involved in um in that thesis and there was no um computer science involved with uh my my undergraduate political science degree okay so I didn't have a STEM background. Am I just like the exception to the rule? I don't think so, okay? I don't think so. I think really what it takes is, and you know, that, that's, that's an empirical question that I don't, you know, you might conduct your own research and find that, oh, like a lot of these people in these um, non-patent prosecution fields also have a, a STEM background. So it might be helpful in some cases. It's absolutely not necessary was, was my experience, okay? Um, so what do you need if not STEM? Well, you need to demonstrate interest, okay? The way that I did it um, was I got interested in sort of the software industry and open source software by virtue of my brother's involvement in that world. And I did, I think when I, right after my undergraduate, I volunteered some hours at a open source software startup, just sort of learn some of the lingo, start familiarizing myself with some of the issues. And then when I got into law school, I pursued that interest. I did some directed research um, under uh, uh, one of my professors, Mark Lemley, um, and wrote a paper on uh, open source software issues relating to a particular um, license in, in the free and open so source software world, okay? Um, so I think that's actually a great avenue for developing interest as well as expertise in, in the field that you're interested in pursuing is 
do some directed research or whatever they call it at your school, okay? And pick a subject. Don't don't just do it. You know, a lot of schools require some writing. Um, you know, you got to write a paper to graduate. And I've seen many students just sort of do it and not put much effort into it and just do it to get it out of the way. You know, got to move on to next phase of life. I think that's a mistake. You can use that opportunity to develop some expertise and something that you're really interested in and not just have it be a throwaway thing, but something that you can use in interviews, um, that you can use to demonstrate to people that yeah, I'm really interested in this stuff and I have some, you know, some actual knowledge that would be useful um, to this particular practice group or, or area, okay? But that's just one example of something you can do, okay? Um, the key point is demonstrate interest. I know people start clubs. Um, there's some students at my school that are considering starting um, you know, data privacy, cybersecurity club. That can be a good way to meet people in that space. You know, you invite speakers, um, do other things to, to get involved in the community um, that you're interested in joining in terms of pursuing a legal practice. Um, you know, on the privacy front, there's a great opportunity for many students if they don't know, you know, and they say, I'm interested in cybersecurity or data privacy, I want to pursue this option. And there's like a bar exam, um, like a patent bar exam only in privacy that you can take. It's administered by the um, International Association of Privacy Professionals and you become a certified information privacy professional. I did that when I was in practice. Um, and it's a great way, again, to signal expertise as well as interest uh, in technological issues and privacy issues. Um, so there, there are things you can do out there and you know, I'm not gonna be able to cover all of them here, but just things that you can do to demonstrate interest in this broader world of intellectual property. Um, okay, just to finish things off, I think I got cut off um, with, with the last segment, but just to finish things off, there, there are things that you can do to demonstrate interest um, in different, um, legal technology, you know, technology fields or in just different legal practices that involve technology and, and science and so forth. And you don't need a STEM background um, to do, to, to participate and become part of those legal practices. Okay, so in future episodes, I would like to bring guests on and interview those guests um, about their legal practices and um, uh, you know, what students can do to get involved. So uh, stay tuned for those um, or, or, you know, um, I will post them as I, as I conduct them. And, um, you know, if you ever have any questions that I can be of help with, uh, feel free to reach out. My contact information is available um, on the law school website, uh, but feel, feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to help in any way I can. Okay, thanks for listening and until next time.